I invite you to rise for the gospel. The gospel this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. And as it is the reign of Christ Sunday, which concludes our season of Pentecost, we have before us Luke's account of the crucifixion. I know it seems to be out of season, since this is mostly a Good Friday text, but this is how we conclude each Pentecost season with a reminder of the reason for our gathering and and who it was who showed us the way to God. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that says, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was there, hanged with him, kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned, just, for we are getting what we deserved for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. You may be seated. Let us pray. God of grace, God of glory, we thank you for this day that you have given us for this opportunity to witness your deeds in a variety of ways and to have the opportunity to meditate again upon your word for the things that will transpire here, for the sacraments that we will observe and partake, for the songs that we will sing, for the prayers that we will offer, and for the meditation that we will reflect upon, we ask that you would find favor in this act of devotion, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be an offering to you. We dedicate that to you, and we ask that you would respond with your grace, and your mercy, and lead us forward. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning to you, because here we are. We are finally concluding this season. It's been a long season. It's been an exciting season. Now this is time for the big finish, as we prepare to set our minds towards the Advent season, which will begin next Sunday. The reign of Christ is important for us to note, because Throughout the entire time of the season of Pentecost, we are celebrating life in the Spirit. That is, the way in which the Spirit, which Jesus promised He would send us, is still working in us, still speaking to us, still guiding our very narrative. We turn our attentions to this passage from Luke today because we realize that this price that was paid by the one whom God sent was something that we can't look away from. His broken and battered body is one that we can't ignore. 
It becomes the foundational principle of the Christian faith. So in this text today, I want to walk us through of some things to be mindful of because there's much that's going on in this text, and we will find that Luke's version of the crucifixion is different from the ones that you find in the other Gospels. There is one little unique significance that takes place in this text, which I will get to a little bit later. But first of all, let's take a look at what happens right after the very first opening verse. Once they brought Jesus to the place where they would crucify him, and they crucified him with thieves on both sides, the first thing that we have from Jesus, and he only utters two lines in this passage, the first thing that he says is that he looks down upon those who were gathered there at this gruesome scene, and he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Now scholars have pounced on the they. They have pounced on the they trying to figure out is this a little they, a little small t they, or is this a big cosmic they? And what they mean by that is that is Jesus just forgiving those who are immediately responsible for his execution? The soldiers, the operatives, the ones working under Pontius Pilate? the present religious leaders of the day and of that moment? Or is it a much larger they of all of those who through their own poor decisions, wayward thoughts, misguided sensibilities, have brought him to that lowly estate? I like to err on the side that it's a a more grander they, a more cosmic collective they of those of us who didn't even realize the ways in which we can injure God by rejecting and flouting the promise that God gives to us freely, which by our own merit we can accept or reject. And we accept when the mood suits us. We know how it is. And then there are times when we just don't feel like responding to the call of God. Not today, God. I'm too busy. I have some other things I'd rather do. But what we hear in this passage is that no matter what our egregious offense is, no matter the ways in which we have either been drawn close to God on one moment and have withdrawn on another moment, Jesus already lays a blanket forgiveness upon deeds that we have done, deeds that we will do, deeds that we are currently doing. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they are doing. Now, Jesus says this from the standpoint of being able to understand that he has this deeper inner wisdom, that he understands what God is doing. So he does not want to lay any blame on the misguided ones, the ones who got caught up in the moment. He absolves them. Even from that miserable, uncomfortable, dastardly position on being on the cross, he absolves them. But let's take a look at what else is going on in this passage here because there's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of intensity. Even as you, as you heard this passage read, even if you reread this for yourselves, you can see the turmoil. We don't know how big the crowd was, but apparently, allegedly, historians tell us that whenever there were these public executions, one and all would come. People wanted to see the, the spectacle. We have not tired of spectacles, have we? People still love a good spectacle. So this was a spectacle indeed, a gruesome, nasty spectacle, one that you don't want in your mind's eye, one that when you close your eyes, you don't want to see again. But there they were. They were gathered there to see this thing that was happening. And it's full of a lot of unpleasantness. And that's putting it mildly. But we have Jesus who was there, and he's being derided by just, just about everybody. Just about everybody's got it in for him. First of all, we see that we have the religious leaders and authorities. They're the first ones to come and scoff and mock at him. 
He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, God's chosen one. Now what's interesting about that passage is how, and maybe this is just Luke's voice, right, the author of the gospel, but it's interesting because he leads off the, the account of the mockery from the religious leaders of the affirmation that Jesus did save others. Now, maybe, now, whether or not they believe that, we don't know. Maybe they were saying it sort of in mocking fashion. Yeah, he saved others. Let him save himself. Or he did save others. Let him save himself. Right? I mean, so you can take that both ways. You can say it mockingly, like, he didn't save anybody. They're still lost and confused. There's still blind beggars and lepers still roaming about. Jesus did nothing. He was a con artist. Now, there's that, there's that aspect because when you're deriding someone, you don't want to affirm anything that they've done, even if they have done something well. You want to lay a whole blanket chastisement on them and say, they're no good, they're getting what they deserve. But you had religious leaders who were drawn to him. Nicodemus for, as one. Nicodemus is like, nobody can do the things that you're doing if it's not God with him. So it could be, not that Nicodemus was one of the ones who was chastising him because he had a fondness for the man, but it could be like, well, you saved others, Jesus. We were there. We saw the man who had the demons, and the demons were gone. So, you can get yourself out of this spot of bother, right? You can do that. It's no problem for you. Either way, it's mocking because the man is in some degree of pain. He's in an imposition. And it doesn't look like it's going to be much longer for him before he finally exhausts. So it is mockery nonetheless, whether they believed he saved others or they didn't believe it. He's on the cross now. He's getting what they think he deserves. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. You've got the soldiers who are casting lots for his, for his clothing, the spoils of war, because he's not going to need them anymore. What he's going to need is a burial shroud after this. But these fine linens that he has here, shoot, roll the dice, man. Let's see what we can get. But they mock him too, offer him some sour wine. And they go, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? The insincerity that's being heaped upon this man is incredible. But it doesn't stop there because Luke has him crucified between two thieves, as do the other Gospels. But in Luke's Gospel, the thieves get lines, right? They, they actually get cast in this part and they get speaking engagements. If this were a movie, they, they could get sag rights because they get a line. So they get a line in the piece. And so we have this first thief and the first thief is caught up in the swell of the crowd. Now, now this is a, it's, it's almost a sort of a, a dark humor because we have a thief who's being crucified, but yet he's, he's feeding off the crowd's energy. And, he's, and he turns to Jesus, right? I can only imagine how he's hung up there on the stake, but he turns to Jesus and says, Hey, hey if you're the Messiah, why don't you save yourself and while you're at it, save us too. Because there's a little bit of pain involved here, Jack. Come on, let's get on with it. So there's that sense in which this thief, who realizes that he doesn't have much more time left on the clock, but he wants to join in with the crowd and say, hey, you sorry figure who's sitting next to me, if you are who they say you are, let's be on with it. Get yourself off this cross and get me out of here too. Because there's a lot of handbooks down there, man, and I'm going to knock this crowd over before I get out of here. That's a lot to process. I mean, it's one thing to have the, 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 the leaders of the synagogue who've, who've had a problem with Jesus since jump, 
right? From day one, they've had a problem with this man going and forgiving sins away from the temple, going and making outrageous claims that he is the son of man, and eating and dining with sinners and tax collectors. Okay, yeah, there's an axe to grind with him. And then, of course, the Roman soldiers, yeah, we understand that too, because what was uh, Judea but a little province for them? So they didn't really care about the inhabitants that were there, right? They served Caesar. They served Pontius Pilate in auspices of, of Caesar. So Jesus is no concern for them. He's just another individual that they have to deal with. Just another person that they got to put on a stake all in a day's work. Maybe we can win some garments at the end of the day. So they don't care about him either. But this thief, this first thief, this is the cat I don't understand. Dude, you are dying. You are dying. You've been caught. You've been nicked. The game's up. It's over. Why are you getting upset? It's not like you believe in Jesus either. But you want to jump in the crowd as if somehow someone's in the crowd going to be like, hey, we misunderstood this thief. He's with us. Quick, get him down off the cross. Right? He's on our side. Luke creates this, this, this literary cacophony of intensity because he wants to drive our attention to the second thief, what they call the penitent thief. There's a whole narrative written up on that second thief. He's a saint in the Coptic church. It's this second thief that we zero in on. There's something going on with this character here that we become mindful of. He's actually the reason why Luke's gospel and the crucifixion story from Luke's gospel is to be set apart from the others. He's got a little rebuke of his own going on, but it's not directed towards Jesus. He turns and directs his energies towards the first thief because we assume that there's some history between these two individuals. They might even know each other. They might have ran with, you know, back in the day they were running in the same gang with one another. We don't know, but he turns and he says, do you not fear God since we are under the same condemnation? We're all here on the cross, okay? Great equalizer, death. And here we are. We're all in the same basket here. But this second thief says, but we are getting what we justly deserve. We're, so, we're supposed to be here. Right? Because it was fun when we were running and gunning, knocking people over on the road to Jericho, taking their stuff, leaving them half dead so the whole story of the Good Samaritan can be told. That was us. We were the operatives. We were the bandits in that narrative. But we got caught. It was game up. Now we are getting what we justly deserved. Now this is where it pivots. First of all, we have the, the ownership. The penitent thief takes full ownership of what he has done and who he is. Full ownership. I was a bad dude. I made some poor decisions. And you know what? I got caught and I'm getting killed for it. Okay, I accept that. And it's a good thing that he accepts it because he's already on the cross. So I'm, I'm glad that he's got that self-realization. But he also says something else, which is where Luke brings our attention to. He turns to Jesus and he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. Like, he shouldn't even be here. He's not like us. Now, where does this wisdom come from? Where does this insight come from? Where does this grace and this means come from? Okay, now I want to share with you a passage from Soren Kierkegaard. Soren Kierkegaard wrote an essay called The Crowd is Untruth. It's a short essay. You can find it if you want to read it. And I, I pulled just a quote from this piece that I think really begins to bring the focus 
on where this penitent thief is coming from. Kierkegaard writes, the truth can neither be communicated nor be received without being, as it were, before the eyes of God, nor without God's help, nor without God being involved as the middle term, since God is the truth. It can therefore only be communicated by and received by the single individual, which for that matter, every single human being who lives could be. Now, what Kierkegaard is saying, and what he says in his entire essay, is that when there are large numbers of individuals to get together, they give one another a courage, a satisfaction, and they embolden one another in behaviors that they would not necessarily take on if they were, in, if they were by themselves, right? We all know about the, the power of the aggregate numbers. They say there's strength in numbers, but there's also a great deal of misguidedness that can take place in large groups because, well, everybody's at it. They're all doing it, and so they just jump into the fray. That is exactly what's happening in this passage today. In Luke's, Luke's unpacking of the crucifixion, we see everyone's just piling on Jesus. They're just piling on. We start with the church leaders. We start with the soldiers. We even start with one of the guys who's being executed beside him. Everyone's just piling on. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. And while you're at it, save us. And you're not the king of the Jews. You're just some tired little raggedy man. And they're just piling on. But who becomes the single individual who now is set apart? Who becomes the single individual who now receives that imprint of God, that mercy of God, who has clarity and can cut through the noise of the crowd to recognize who it is who is beside him. The penitent thief is that singular individual with whom God has spoken directly to his heart and says, do you know who it is that is perishing alongside you? And he speaks on behalf of this mystic wisdom. It's the only way to put it. Because it's not that he has had, depending on which sources you read, and I don't want to confuse you with all that stuff. You look confused enough as it is. <laughs> but depending on which sources you read, we assume that this second thief and Jesus had no encounters with one another because they were, they were running on different paths. One is looking to unlock the, the wellspring of God. The other one's looking to fill their pockets and they don't care who they run over to do it. But now they have this chance meeting. And it looks pretty clear to everyone who's there at that scene that this is pretty much the last encounter these guys are going to have on this side of the veil. But the second and the penitent thief does not waste that moment and looks to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a profession of faith, an incredible profession of faith. Because he accepts at that divine level exactly what's being said about Jesus, but not in a mocking sense, but that this man does represent a kingdom, does represent a realm that is far beyond this realm where there is no more brokenness, there is no more mercenary attitudes, there is no more uh, disrespect. There is a fullness and a wholeness. And he says, Jesus, remember me. And then we get Jesus' second line in this passage, and he says, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. In fact, in the Greek it's translated like amen, like amen, you will be with me in paradise. Like literally Jesus makes it so profound a thing that it's not like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm get back to you on that one. I'm gonna think about it. No, it's like today, today you will be with me. Pardon. Instant pardon right there in that moment. My takeaway for this passage is that it's this penitent thief that gives us hope and adoration that no matter how much turmoil starts to unfold in life, in around us, in our families, in our communities, in our world, doesn't matter how much turmoil, that the voice of God can cut through all of that noise, all of that derision, all of that deception and speak clearly and directly to our hearts and say that even in this moment you can have the clarity of God and know that you are on that path of righteousness. This is something, this is, we need to hear this. We need, thank you, witness. We need to hear this because so oftentimes we hear the prevailing voices which sometimes sound sweet, sound seductive, sounds like that's how I believe. And then all of a sudden we're being carried away down someplace where we really shouldn't be. And sometimes we need that singular wisdom that comes from the voice of God that says, hold on now, I do have a contrary opinion and it is in your best interest. Put away the many voices that sound pulling you this way and that Pull yourself away from that and case yourself in a quiet space where you might be able to hear my voice clearly. And even though that second penitent thief was on that cross and all that jeering and spitting and nastiness and blood and potential death in that scene, somehow everything just went on squelch and it was just a conversation with him and his soon-to-be Messiah. Just a conversation between them. Jesus, I'm a miserable offender. I'm broken. I'm lost. But I also recognize that I stand at the cusp of an entirely new beginning. So it's not the end for him. It's not the end. Yes, this earthly thing is going to pass away, but he is all set for what is yet to come. So he's getting his seat in early, right? He's like, dibs, Jesus, wherever you're going to be, I want to be too. Jesus is like, today, you'll be with me in paradise. This is exactly the kind of stuff that can carry us through a week of all sorts of turmoil, misunderstanding, disappointment, because we will have those things. Life does dish up those things. But when we can remember that there is a God who cuts through the noise, through the chaos, through the mania of daily life, That gives us the certitude to be able to say, wait a minute, I haven't lost my bearings. What made me think I was losing my bearings? Because somebody over here was flapping their lips about something and I got carried away for a moment and I lost my head, lost my composure, became an ugly person, right? You know the times that someone just sets you off and you go, oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And then all of a sudden Jesus is like, bring it back, bring it, breathe. Breathe. (laughs) Now you two are parents, you're going to learn to breathe a whole new way. And you'll realize that your parents weren't lying to you. So here's the takeaway. First of all, life doesn't set out to be chaotic. But it just happens that way. There will be insincerity, there will be misunderstanding. We will make poor decisions. 
What Luke wants us to remember is that even when we seem, when it seems like all the chips are down, when we might be at our very wits end, tethers end, it looks like an absolute bleak and gross situation, as it was for, for everyone who was involved there, thief one and two, that it is the perception and the understanding that the penitent thief has to realize that they still have agency. We still have agency that we still walk with God. God has not abandoned us, even in the most dire of circumstances. So wherever you're at, whatever you're encountering, whatever is still brewing in your life right now, some unresolved issue, something that you are still trying to figure out, how do I handle this? Do not give up. It's not over yet. God is with you. Amen.